0: Hey everybody, this is John. Before we get into this piping hot new episode of Movie Schmovie, I wanted to let you know that one of the stories that we discussed is not really a story anymore. It broke midweek that AMC Theatres was considering adding some screenings or screening rooms where they would allow uh, cell phone usage or texting during the film and i think the public outcry against it was so strong they turned around on friday and said no we're not considering doing that and the only problem for us is we recorded our episode on thursday night when this was still you know a possibility that they might be pursuing that plan but they seem to have scrapped it at least according to this article i'm reading on usa today amc ditches plan to allow texting in theaters so i hope you enjoy the discussion anyway i will get back to scanning this article for typographical or grammatical errors thus far a couple paragraphs in, I've only found one. So that's pretty good for USA Today. Good job, guys. Now enjoy Movie movie. Operator, will you please connect me to Movie
1: Schmovie? Welcome to Movie Schmovie. This is uh, yes. episode 158. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: have we have to come up with uh, something to call these episodes. I you know I wrote it down as a phoner. We could call them we could call them uh, remotes. What do you guys think we should call these episodes where we're not in the same place, but through
2: technology we are in the same place? Hmm.
1: I, I like know. the phoner
2: idea. I, I kind of this kind of reminds me that voice that you did reminded me of when you have to you used to have to call the movie theater. You know what? That, times, that just that, that,
1: that made my night cuz that was my inspiration and that was my motivation
2: that was man i used to love those things but you'd have to wait forever to get around to your movie yeah you'd Especially, like wait
1: for the whole cycle of every movie you had no interest right. in just to get to the anything
2: one sh- in the s's the s's yeah, or exactly. the t's like, you're like oh, oh god yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you get to your movie and it's like it's not playing at any time so you just wasted time and you're not if you right. to see it <laughs>
0: oh what was that noise
2: it was uh, a text. But, I, all right, so do I mute That's this? a text. That's a text. <laughs> Jesus, Ronald. Your day must be hell. Uh...
0: Um, All right. Well, since we're talking about this, is actually very germane that that Ronald so rudely is reading a text during this
1: podcast. No, it came, um, it came through know,
2: my laptop. I, I, maybe I should put on Do Not Disturb mode. Give me give me one second. I was just thinking about that.
1: Why don't you switch it to vibrate?
2: No, it's no. I mean, on my it, it's on my computer.
0: I thought I might actually bring up a question we got from somebody. We we once again solicited people on Facebook. I, I want to say listeners, but I think these are more friends of ours than listeners that uh, respond to these posts. But we got some questions for tonight's episode, and we're going to let those kind of guide us through this episode of Movie Schmovie. But before we get into that, I guess I should say that um, you guys may not have clued into this yet, but I'm John.
1: I'm Ron. I'm Steve.
0: And there you go. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> yes, you're is... right. You
1: are, John. You are. I was just going to say, yeah, well yeah. we. <laughs> That could be a topic. Yeah, yeah, who am I?
0: But anyway, this question is uh, from Max Levine, and he says, what are your thoughts on the beginning of the end? And he attached a link to that article about how AMC is considering allowing texting and, and you know, smartphone use, basically. Lots of little little screens. Uh, they're allowing that, theoretically, in some some of their theaters coming up. What do you guys think of that?
1: Uh, well, that's absolutely horrible, um, but... I think I think I, I was reading something later on in the evening that it was a little more, I, probably damage control, but that it was basically clarifying that like they were talking about testing it in theaters, and I don't know, like even just the notion of that is just absolutely ridiculous to me. But I'm I'm a pretty, uh, and I, I don't know, I know I'm not a, on this island alone, but. I am super super irritable during movies, as both of you can attest to. So like if, yeah. if the slightest thing, <laughs> if the slightest thing annoys me or bothers me or distracts me or anything like that, and I mean don't get me wrong, I've been guilty once or t- you know here and there like you know getting a text or having to look at something because I'm expecting something, but I think there's a there's a definite line of saying. You know, in a it, there's somewhere in the future that might be possible that it's going to be a completely acceptable to have your phone out texting and tweeting and and doing whatever you want to do on your on your you know cellular device. That's unacceptable. Period. I think, but I don't know. What do you guys think?
2: Uh, I don't I don't think that it should exist. I mean, it should be kind of like a smoking section, right? Like, it should be like, if, if there's going to be a texting thing, there should be a separate screening for that. Like, they should call it, like, texting or anything goes or something like or that. Or this is where
1: the assholes sit, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There should be, like, a separ- a separate movie screening for stuff like that. The, the, the amount of self-importance that it takes for somebody to believe that their texts are more important than the, the, the presentation of the film is weird. Like, I... A lot of these people don't really have any, you know, I'm not going to say that. People have a lot of responsibility outside of the situation. I just don't think they should come to the movies if texting is a priority. You know what I mean? Like you should be able to stop it for two hours. It's not that big of a deal.
0: I think that the movie theater is just like any number of public spaces that you have to consider... The rules about, like, your bubble and what that you can do whatever you want to do within your bubble, you know, that, that changes when you're in that space.
1: Yeah.
0: It seems like the people that want to use their screens during movies are people that have, like, novelty-sized devices, too. There's always, like, some giant screen with a super bright <laughs> light on it. And it really is something that you see in the corner of your eye. And I would imagine if I were to say to that person, you're disturbing me, they would think I was being ridiculous. You know what I mean? But to me, it really is a major disturbance to have that little thing in the corner of my eye when I'm trying to look at the screen. Yeah. So I'm kind of like you, Steve. I might not be as combative in the movie theater, but I definitely am just as vigilant. And any little thing bugs me. And I kind of feel like, let's agree that this public space, we're going we're gonna to keep the same rules we've always had for it. Yeah. I feel like I'm an old fogey about it. I can imagine maybe there's some screening where people are paying, knowing that they are welcome to use their phones. And that's really no different than like a mommy and me screening or something where (laughs) you would be allowed to bring a screaming baby to me. It's like, I don't want to be in that theater ever. If it happens, that's fine. But I I don't want to be in
1: that room. Well, that would be a good, that would be a good beta test right there is to say, okay, let's just roll these guys into the mommy and me screenings. How much does a, a crying baby annoy you while you're texting while watching your movie? You know what I mean? Like so that's about the level of annoyance that I have by you texting. It's just you know let let's give them a taste of something that could possibly annoy them and or interrupt them while they're trying to passively watch a movie while also texting nonstop.
2: Right. That's no I can't even imagine that, man. I can't even yeah, imagine this. No, nah,
1: it's it's that's like a no that's a no go for sure. I would also
0: be annoyed if I was a millennial because the way that they are I'm going to actually quote the article here. AMC Entertainment CEO open to allowing texting in some theaters. That's the Variety headline. Right. And it's an interview with Adam Aaron, who, uh, who is the head of AMC. And what he says about millennials, what does he say here? That They ask him, would appealing to millennials involve allowing texting or cell phone use? And he says, yes. When you tell a 22-year-old to turn off the phone, don't ruin the movie, they hear, please cut off your left arm above the elbow. You can't tell a 22-year-old to turn off their cell phone. That's not how they live their life. To me, that sounds asinine, and if I was a 22-year-old, I would probably be the most pissed off about this, because that sounds like, so there's no 22-year-olds that appreciate movies, or there's no 22-year-olds that understand there's a time and a place. That is the worst part of it to me, is that they're being so cynical, if that's how you appeal to millennials, is by saying, oh, and you can do that supposed multitasking that everyone's supposed to be doing, but no one's actually doing. Yeah, agreed,
1: agreed.
2: Yeah, it's it's a little dismissive of the population of people that actually are considerate people, and and I think there's a lot of people like that. I I just hope that I think that there's something happening when it comes to like just whatever liberal is like. Liberal is a great thing. Like I think that that's amazing. I'm I I like to consider myself fairly liberal about things, but if we start talking things out of existence, like respect for other people and stuff like that, like we can't debate this out of existence like, well, what about the people that, that need to text? Or don't fucking come to the movies. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think at, at some point you're going to have to draw a line, create some parameters that are real. And not just right. act like everything is this abstract idea that people can talk out of. And there has to be some, like, general respect about people's, the, the greater good of the situation. And sometimes that's yeah. just kicking the people out that are being dickheads and letting everybody else enjoy the situation. So, I don't know.
0: Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll watch this to see what actually happens with it. You know, it's if it's something they're testing, I would imagine that they've already sort of tested the idea due to this media response, and I don't think they're going to... Like, if, if someone was deciding based on what happened, based on, you know, this any kind of reaction to this article, I haven't seen anybody that really <laughs> seems in favor of it.
1: So... Definitely not. Yeah, this is... Ugh, that's so annoying.
0: Well, let's move on to one of our big topics, and actually we're once again going to use uh, questions that we were given cool. uh, as, our, as, as our guide. The first question, I'm going to kind of conflate two questions. Kathy Carson asked, why does Zack Snyder hate us all? And Mike Finazzo asked, why do I feel like Zack Snyder made Batman versus Superman just to fuck with me? <laughs> um, so, we're going to get into what we wanted to do with part of the show tonight, which is to kind of follow up on the Batman versus Superman, not the movie itself, the content of the film, but the reaction, and specifically this kind of swirl of audience reaction versus critical reaction, or DC fanboy versus Marvel fanboy, or bad word of mouth versus international grosses. I mean, where where do we stand with this film now, and what do you you think it means that a movie could have so many different uh, interpretations?
1: Well, Uh, I mean, I think the direct answer to both questions is is because he can. (laughs) Because I mean, because I I think that you know when you're given that much opportunity or that much, uh, I guess control, power, whatever it is, like it doesn't really matter. I think with anybody, I don't I don't think he's making this movie from regardless of what he says or what he implies, for like for for fans necessarily. I think he has a vision that he sees, and that's what he's doing. And you know that may be my response to it. Just you know from the conversations we had about the movie but i honestly like whatever you want to say about the movie i actually enjoy talking about movies and the mere existence of films like this because it's actually interesting to talk about it's not the same conversation over and over again this is like a really high risk movie high risk franchise uh so i mean i don't know I, I just think it's like kind of an interesting thing to, that that it even exists at all in the state that it is because, you know, this is like just, this is conversation for a long time and this is like nothing that's ending soon. So, um, it, it'll, it'll be something that I think is a pretty organic and just kind of like changes as, you know, as time goes on. And like when they release the Blu-ray and the Blu-rays are, and it's got all this other, you know, it's like this whole thing will flare up again and we'll talk about it all over again because it's so divisive.
2: Yeah. It, it, we can get it, podcast
0: uh, after podcast out of
2: this. I think that in general, for, I guess we have to start with, to me, the biggest uh, argument that people want to have is, is this movie a flop? If the budget was 250 and it grossed about $800 million so far, it's the furthest thing from a flop that I've ever seen that's been considered a flop. Now, critically, yes, absolutely, but I don't think that matters from a business point of view. Warner Brothers sees... Obviously, the dollar signs in the situation, and I think that they're gonna make some adjustments in terms of, you know, critical acclaim. You gotta, you gotta work for that too. Like that, that that helps prolong it. This, this could have been a different conversation if it was a good movie. You know, accepted as a good movie. This could have tacked on two hundred more million. This could have tacked on three hundred more million, and that's a that's an argument within itself. But like, this movie is not a flop, and I think that. We have uh, there's a ton of movies similar to it coming out really soon, like Suicide Squad's coming. That's going to have the Batman mixing and all that stuff. So I think that people just need to get ready for this sort of movie being a thing where where Marvel is kind of going for like a cohesiveness and tie in story thing. Warner Brothers is doing it, but not as neatly and not as considerately. Uh, is that a word? Considerately? Consi- not as uh, well put together.
0: A movie is a disappointment and still grosses $800 million. Right. I right. think that what they wanted to see was a much bigger reaction. You were talking about that missing like $300 million. I think that's word of mouth right there. That's like that extra swell of people going, no, it is really good, instead of people going, eh. I mean, honestly, on spring break, my son, who I was debating whether or not to take him because he's eight, I finally said, well, buddy if you want to go see Batman versus Superman, we can go see it uh, one day this week. Um, And I'll, you know, if there's anything in it that you want to ask me questions about, we can talk about it. It might be a little, it might be a little adult, but I think you might enjoy it. And then he was like, nah, nah, I can just wait for it to come out on video.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, And I've
0: never, I've never seen my son say that before. And I honestly feel like something in the air about this film told him, yeah, it sounds cool, but I don't, I don't have to rush out and see it. And I right. think whatever that is, whatever that little extra ingredient that you would think would be automatic with a Batman film or with a Batman versus Superman film especially, just didn't kick in with this movie. So that's what I'm fascinated about. But I agree with you. I think we said it even on our original episode, the people that love it are are ignoring certain things about the film and the people that just hate it are ignoring certain things about the film too. Right, right.
1: It's, it's also like, it's. I think the biggest thing like kind of what Rana was getting at, at least where my mind was going, was that... Yeah, it did make a ton of money. Like we were talking earlier this week, like how they're projecting that it may even make less profit than Man of Steel did, which that that, that that statement alone is like all you need to make an argument that it's a failure. I mean, like, yes, they made a ton of money. But, you know, in terms of missed opportunity and really yeah. um, mismanagement or, or, or whatever that proper term is, I mean, you really are given the keys to like, you know, arguably two of the biggest superheroes ever and putting them in a movie together to basically set up the positive word of mouth for a franchise or for a a, you know a a universe of films and unfortunately i think you know even though the money is in the bank you know there's a long term investment in what they, they were hoping this would do in terms of setting up that positive word of mouth you know like john said like Two to three hundred million more dollars could be in that bank, and not only in the bank, but could have set up that goodwill for the movies that are coming after it. You know, right. if if yeah. Batman versus Superman was like incredible, can you only imagine what that would have done for Suicide Squad? You know, instead now people are like, oh man, the Suicide Squad trailer looks so much better than Batman versus Superman. I can't wait for that, which is a very positive thing. But if it had dropped you into that film with the excitement you know, that, I don't know, Winter Soldier did for, like, the, you know, Age of Ultron, or, like, Star Wars is doing for the rest of what comes for it. I just think it, it's, it's at, that that's the biggest craziness to me, is just that, just comprehending how long this took to happen, and, you know, even though it's made a ton of money, that it may make less than what, in a lot of, you know, respects was called a failure to begin with, which was Man of Steel. Like, it may make less profit than that movie. Like, that's, that's absolutely insane. It is insane. Well, let's let's keep moving because we got more
0: questions related to this topic, and we we're kind of dancing around one of them. Drew Landry asks uh, thoughts on the new Suicide Squad trailer. Mm. Also, is uh, Jared Leto a method actor or just a
1: douche? (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say I I think the trailer is great for Suicide Squad. I think they've both. I mean, all of them have built on the other. You know, in terms of the order they've been releasing them, and you know, as the resident. I guess, uh, layman in terms of all these comics. Like, I'm not in the loop like you two are. Um, it's it's accomplished quite a bit in getting me excited for a lot of things that I knew nothing about. And uh, I, I think that the trailers are really good. Um, in terms of Jared Leto, I, I do think he's probably quite the method actor. And, you know, he also seems like he may... I don't think they're mutually exclusive, if you know what I mean. Like, I think he may also be a douche, but I, I do think <laughs> that... Uh, that uh, he's quite the, the, in, in that ballpark of, of being a method actor.
2: I love the trailer. Pardon of me wishes that Suicide Squad would have come out before Batman yeah. vs. Superman. I think that would have added something to the mystique of the whole world. Especially if Batman's going to be this sort of terror figure in Suicide Squad. Um, Jared is a great method actor. And I think that does come across as a little douchey. Um, I'm really hoping that this movie's good, man, because two fucking (laughs) weirdly received movies in a year from the same studio would be kind of weird. Um, I I, I just want it to work. I want some part of this to work and hearing about the reshoots and making it lighter just makes me fucking want to vomit, honestly.
0: The thing about the reshoots I wanted to say, too, and I'm glad you brought it up, Ronald, is Mm -hmm. I think people need to not accept that news so negatively. Every Marvel film has had some, you know, like very close to release a a period of reshoots. And it always seems like it's a dire sign, but it's just part of their process. They get into the editing room and they realize we need a scene where so-and-so says this, you know, and they go and they make it. So. I, I don't know if DC's copying that model, but I think that's what it means when they say they're they're going into reshoots on that phone.
1: It can be an indication of confidence mainly because like if if they've seen it and are really happy with it. Like, I think David Ayers was on, like, you know, responding to these reports, basically saying, like, when, when the studio sees your movie and says, here's some more money to, you know, go do the other stuff you wanted to do that you couldn't before. Uh, it's like, okay. okay, that that might not be a bad thing, you know? Right. So, it could be it could be a little bit of that, too. I
2: mean, I, I trust the director of Fury, man. Fury was amazing to me. And I I You know, it wasn't the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it was definitely a, a good movie that kind of showed tension and character development and if he can do that with these comic book characters i'm excited i'm excited yeah so
0: well that brings us to another question from drew alexander are you guys excited for the batfleck movie
2: yes i am very excited because
0: they just they just announced it and made it official i think we all kind of already knew this was happening but ben affleck has definitely been named as the director of a film called the batman which i think is supposed to come out in 2018 am i right about that i think so and that just means he would be the first Batman to be uh, directing himself in a film and also possibly writing the film or co-writing the film. There's supposed to be a script that he had a hand in that is that has impressed somebody at, at Warner's.
2: Double duty feels a little weird to me. Like I understand writing the script, directing it and acting in it just seems like a a big task for the type of role that's It thing. really does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean like I if there were to be any actor director that I were to trust to do it, I guess it'd be him. I mean, I I, I think that he played an amazing Batman. Like it, it it's a different, it's a whole different idea of Batman that we've never seen, and I'm excited to see a big, burly, mean Batman that's trying to crush people's heads. I I, I we've never seen it before, and I think it's really speaks to Ben Affleck couldn't have been a better Batman. To, I, I don't know. I don't think there could have been a better Batman to me right now, especially since we need it. We need a different one. Uh, you know, we need a different type of Batman because we've seen the same sort of Batman for so long. And I think the Christian Bale was different. I think he was sort of the mid, the middle of the transition to what Batman is becoming now. Um, but I think that Ben's perfect. I, I, I've never felt so like, Ben was one, the only Batman that I, when I heard he was going to be Batman, I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't <laughs> love him and everything, but I love the idea of him being a Batman. So and I'm excited.
0: All right. Um, this is actually dovetailing very nicely. There's a couple more questions. Uh, Kathy Carson also asked, what do you think about Dr. Strange? Benedict Cumberbatch, am I right? <laughs> i know steve doesn't have much of a, an opinion about the character from the comics but steve you came into the trailer cold which was just right. released yesterday what did you think of that and did, did it did it seem like another new property that maybe you'll just trust that might be okay or did the trailer actually do anything to excite you
1: i think more of the former uh i, I yeah i kind of feel the same i felt about ant-man um i know we were talking about this i I kind of do feel myself just kind of going with it because yeah. I, tr- I trust where they've gone with a lot of these movies and I'm, I'm pretty open-minded to, um, you know, the creative process and the creative individuals that they've worked with and, I you know, and will continue to be working with. So, I mean, the cast is great. I'm, I'm a fan of mostly everybody in that film. The trailer looked really cool. I still don't know much about the character. I don't know much about the movie. I, you know, I'm not... Doctor Strange uh, educated <laughs> I, I don't know too much about him so um, I'm trying to like you know I, I'm kind of trying to do a test with this in, in, in not doing a lot of research about it or like reading much about it because I want to see how well they do at introducing somebody that's not I guess uh, as well known as, as a superhero as some of the other properties they have but, like before like I kind of went and read more about Ant-Man so I was a little more prepped going into it but I kind of, I kind of want to like see how much they can educate me mm. through their marketing about this character, about this this new film, um, before going out and finding information that they're not giving me. So I'm I'm curious to see how that works out.
2: What about you, Ronald? Um, you know what? I I feel that very similarly to Steve. Um, despite being a comic book character, I, I think I kind of told you this earlier, John. When it came to this, Doctor Strange, I kind of skipped over him, honestly. He was kind of a bland, weird character to me. Um, magic in the Marvel world is something that I'm very leery about. And I kind of put this in the same category as Thor in the way that like, um, so I want, I want to learn about this character the same way that Steve does. And I'm excited to see how they're gonna do it, how it's gonna unfold, how the marketing for this thing's gonna happen. Cause I don't think this feels, and, and I guess this is the only way I can really describe it. This feels like if this if there were to be uh, these big tempo releases, this feels like a small indie project in relationship to the Marvel world because this is such a new character for people. Um, right. It, this is going to be a weird sell. And, I, I mean, I, I've, I've talked about it a lot, but the idea of magic in this world is one thing. And then what really kind of turned me off about the trailer, because I I actually really did enjoy the idea of the trailer, but um, people in old outfits, like old, like, uh, I don't know, these like comic book sort of images, but then like cars behind them. And I think that's going to be weird for people. I think it's going to be weird to see this magic being done in modern times. And, and I'm curious to see how Marvel's going to handle it. And if they handle it well, eh, if they do, then it's, if they handle it well, it's going to be nice. If they don't, I think this has the potential to put a little bit of a a little wavy line in the middle of their pretty steady stream of Marvel releases. So,
0: You know, I think I actually feel very much like the two of you do mm. based on the trailer and also about the character. I just have an extra little dose of having gleaned a little bit more about the character he was never one that I particularly followed I just like if you read those comics you knew sort of what everybody's skill set was you know and he was a character that popped up but what he brings into it in terms of the movie is an expansion of the sort of crazy quantum physics that they kind of played around with in Ant-Man which is to right. say someone who's manipulating other realms and other dimensions and and that sort of thing but doing it using magic I don't think it's going to be straight up like gobbledygook <laughs> magic you know I think it's going to be I think it's just going to be like everything else they've done there's going to be limits to it and there's right. going to be a, a consequence of using this power or whatever they're going to make it uh, viable but um, I think the main thing that I want to see is just some good trippy visuals, because there's some cool comic stuff with Doctor Strange that is just so of its time, but particularly there's an artist named Steve Ditko who drew these crazy vistas, uh, you know, and I think the notion that the same minds at Marvel that said, hey, let's let's do Rocket Raccoon and said, hey, let's do Ant-Man, I feel that same spirit in this movie. But I also like what you said, Ronald, it feels smaller, and I think I said to you guys, it. It feels to me a little closer to one of the Netflix series. Like there's something kind of street level about this. Yeah, it definitely. feels a little bit dirtier. I'd I'd be happy if right, it had right. the, if it if it felt like it was leaning on you know each one of these Marvel films. Uh, for all their supposed similarity, each one of them has had its own little vibe. And if this one feels like a little bit more of a you know a martial arts film or a horror film as the case may be because th- this character opens the door to all kinds of creepy creatures and stuff and the director isn't it Scott Derrickson his background is in horror yeah. so i think there's a lot of things about this movie that just remind me of other chances marvel has taken that have worked pretty well for me as movies and as representations of these characters that even if i don't know them uh, chapter and verse i remember things about them and i was glad to see them i'm just always glad to see them embracing the characters and putting something up there that looks so much. Much like a comic book panel, you know, that, that just feels so definitely that just feels like what I go to these movies for. And this looks like a lot of fun. So I, I got some kind of goosebumps, um, from this trailer, but not because I've grew up worshiping Dr. Strange, but just because I feel like, oh, they're embracing the, the strangeness of this character, no pun intended. And you even said it, Ronald. In, in the marketing, it says, open your mind. Yeah, it's like they're it's... basically saying, uh, this may seem a little weird, right. but bear with us. Please, please like this. Uh, which brings us to our last question on this topic, which will which will kind of get us out the door on it. Brandon Lascure asks, when is the comic book movie bubble going to burst? Trends like this can't last forever.
2: <clears throat> Ronald? Um, possibly the release of Doctor Strange. <laughs> 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 that could create it. That could be the that could be the beginning of the ripple, honestly. Um, but
0: I just don't ever see it needing to end. As a trend, I think these things can keep going. I, I think it's a fun question, but but I think in general it can be like Westerns or anything where it just a gradual decline in its popularity may right. occur. It's but like, I you could have decades of different versions as long as people are interested, it won't matter, you know. So
2: you're saying that comic books movies are dubstep.
0: You know, I don't think they're dubstep. I think Western's had a longer shelf life than dubstep, so I'm going to say they're like Western. But I also think there's all this, there's all these decades of stories for them to pull on. So, again, with the Marvel model, maybe there'll be some people that are bored by the style of these films. But if you like the characters and you want to follow the soap opera that they're laying out, I don't think that there's ever going to be an end to people who are enthusiastic about that. Now, can these things keep being these monumental hits? I, that I don't know
1: yeah it's a genre you know what i mean like it's it's kind of like what john was saying it it, it has there's plenty of source material it will probably stabilize like where each one that's coming out isn't going to be bigger than the one before it but i mean there's been plenty of examples over the last decade of ones that have come out and haven't been huge you know what i mean like for every you know for every four that are, are huge or five that are huge one fails miserably you know and I I that that may be you know, that ratio may balance out a bit, but I mean there's there's absolutely no reason with source material, with remaking properties, you know, like these these movies make a ton of money and, you know, they're super entertaining and they're blockbuster, they're event things that are needed in cinema. And, you know, whether you are a fan of them or not, you know, a lot of people go to see them and there's really absolutely no reason that I can see that a studio would ever stop making them or that movie goers. I do, I do appreciate and I even align with the idea of like kind of feeling a little burnt out. Yeah. But as I say that, you know, I also sit here and say damned if I'm not excited for the Batman movie. <laughs> damned if I'm not excited for the suicide squad, you know, gosh, am I, I can't wait to see the standalone Spider-Man movie. Like just because I'm burned out doesn't mean that I'm still not going to see them. You know, I just feel like, it is the kind of thing where it's becoming more and more frequent because they are doing it right, you know, and they, they, they've kind of figured it out, and I don't I don't see them stopping that at all.
0: I think that's as good a place as any to move on to our next subject, cool. uh, which is indie horror. Now, we've had this as a kind of a running subtopic. We've talked about it in relation to a few movies, and I think often we, we do quite like these films, and other times we, we think they're a little overhyped, but every... Year or so or half a year, there's an indie horror film that by which we mean a, a a movie that feels like a Sundance type indie film, but it has a genre side to it, or it is it it is actually a full- on genre exploration, but done in that kind of indie style. Mm. And I think because it doesn't have the trappings of a typical horror film, it's not a slasher. It's not a zombie film. It's it's got its own little energy, and then it turns into horror. I think people feel better about these films. These movies get better reviews if they're remotely scary or creepy. They usually get uh, uh, touted as the scariest thing that someone's ever seen because this is a person maybe that doesn't watch a lot of horror films. I don't know, uh, but it, it it we've talked about this. You know, It Follows yeah. was one. Now we liked It Follows a lot. Now Babadook was another, and I think we all liked that film a lot. But we also thought it was it was called scary when it was more creepy than scary. Yeah. So right. so so what is it? What what is the craze? As as actual horror fans, Steve, you and I probably have a certain opinion that a lot of these movies just aren't as scary as the movies that they're supposedly better than. But Ronald, you're not a big horror fan, but you've noticed it too. What what do you guys think of this whole idea of just the fact that every something has to be crowned the greatest horror film ever or the scariest thing ever, uh, every now and then.
2: And they usually are not I I don't know what that has to do with. I I think that <laughs> I've noticed for me, I don't know how you guys feel about what 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 makes things scary. I think things that are more grounded in reality tend to scare me more. Um, so that's that's sort of the measure for me. Whenever it's like uh, ghosts and stuff like that, it has to be done well enough. It has to be, it has to have some grounding in reality that w- that would make me feel like oh that could be me in that situation. Some element of this is relatable. And I'd be scared. So like the figure running after a person and uh kind of popping up out of the shadows doesn't work anymore because I think we've seen it so much. So taking a new play on it or at least uh, a new take on it helps a lot. So, you know. Crowning something the the scariest shit ever, I I think is just a testament to how soft a lot of these movies have been. Like it is that if that's the standard, I just think that. But the the times that the movies that I hear you guys talk about were pretty much around in the the eighties and nineties, and that was a time where like things were a little more hard hitting in the theater. I don't know what it was like, maybe the 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 rating standards. Uh, kind of kind of define that sort of thing where something could be pg-13 and and really be r in real life and kind of you know skip the the process of being vetted out as being inappropriate but there's something about the way that movies are being made now where i feel like they're a bit less scary (laughs) it's so weird you could watch something from the 90s and be more scared about that than something that you watch now and i don't know what the hell it is maybe it's just the the company standards for scary i don't know
1: yeah i don't i i definitely agree with most of what you just said i mean i think i think what the big at least in my mind what the big issue is is just like there's a need to package something as a certain kind of thing like every year or Every festival cycle, or every—I don't know—quarter or whatever it might be. I just feel like over the past few years, it's like just, there's such a need to be able to say, like, or or to be able for a, a journalist to be able to put out, like, you know, this this is the scariest thing since whatever the ring, or I don't know, I don't even know what to say, but you know, it's like this is the thing nightmares are made of. Here's pure nightmare fuel. Like these these headlines. Yeah. For these movies that just like you know, and and it's not really to cut on the movie at all. It's it's like I think it I think it fails it's the movie and the filmmakers in so many ways. And I mean I don't I don't know like I, like all the examples that John mentioned are like the immediate ones that come to mind. And like of those like I definitely loved you know it follows. I actually thought that was probably the closest thing to being okay. But I think it still suffers from like that it's all about expectations. And I think like we always talk about, or I always bring up like marketing and like the way they're selling these movies. And I mean, I know that like, it's like really just trying to, you know, get people in a mainstream cinema to go see, you know, the Babadook or it follows or, um, you know, good night, mommy, whatever the movies are that we want to talk about. Um, it just—I don't know—like it. It just sets the. I, I feel in so many ways, it sets the bar against the movie, and it almost shows that like they don't really have faith in their ability to market, you know, a psychological drama or a supernatural drama or you know, a suspenseful drama. Instead, let's sell it as like the scariest movie ever. Let's make a lot of money on opening weekend because we have more confidence in that than the ability to sell a movie and and have it make money on word of mouth for what it really is and that that just really bothers me and like as a fan of horror and as a fan of you know even these movies that we're talking about i just feel like it doesn't really do the audience justice it doesn't do the film justice and you know ultimately it's not really doing a whole lot to show that hollywood is really or or even the indie scene is really aware of how to make and or market a true genre horror movie like i guess what most people would call you know, like a mainstream horror movie.
0: That's why you get uh, Stephen King or George Romero or John Carpenter or somebody like that who who has some kind of weight behind their opinion to say, this is the scariest film I've ever seen, says William <laughs> right. Friedkin, director of The Exorcist. And it's like you think, well, okay, William Friedkin, there are scarier films. Uh, I think he said that about The Babadook. There are scarier right. films than The Babadook. William Friedkin, you made a couple of them. Yeah. You know? So it's like, I think that it's crazy to say that... Um, that, that that isn't overhyped to some extent. And you're right that it's just marketing. But I think what, what interests me about this little niche is that these are films that the critics usually rate highly. And it's because, I, I mean, again, I know I'm, maybe I'm, I'm hammering this a little too hard, but I think these are people that think they're too good for horror that are appreciating a horror film. And they're like saying, well, this one's good because it's not so obvious or it's not trying so hard to be what it is, you know. And um, and I think that's, even though, I, like you said, Steve, I like these films, I also kind of begrudge the fact that the ones that people say are good are, are ones that maybe they don't have that disreputable feel that you were talking about, Ronald, the 80s, the 90s, that kind of a sleazy feeling. I think that there yeah. is something about movies that are made with a true... Uh, exploitive uh, base interest in freaking an audience out. I think those films usually are stronger than the ones that are made with a little bit more pretension. And that does not mean those pretentious films can't be beautiful and wonderful. And I guess this brings us to let's at least talk about a specific film. Let's talk about The Witch. I know you hadn't seen The Witch the last time we talked about it, Steve, but you've seen it since,
1: right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Went and saw it last weekend. So what did you think of The Witch? You know, honestly... (laughs) In the theater that night, in the theater that night, like I was excited, like to bring this back up to you guys, and like we need to, we need to talk about this again because it was like fresh on my mind. Because I, I imme- my immediate reaction was everything we just talked about. Like I feel like the expectations were not were not set properly. I feel like audiences, most of the people that I saw it with, people that are in other, you know other people in the theater that I was seeing it with, um, I could tell we're not enjoying this movie. But that said. The more I sat on that film and thought about the movie, the more I realized that I actually really liked the movie a lot. Um, I, I actually like really, really liked this film, and I and and I I have no problem admitting that because immediately coming out, I was like, you know, I don't know, I don't know how I felt about that. I mean, there was some like you were saying earlier, John. There were some very creepy moments, but. I still believe that it was mismarketed. I still believe that this all this you know hyperbole around all these movies still applies to this as an example. But I will say, like of all the ones we've been talking about, with the exception of It Follows, it, I would probably place it ahead of the other movies that we've mentioned. I mean, like it really stuck with me after the fact, and the you know I did a little more like reading about witches and like some of the the filmmakers like you know research and I don't know just. It really kind of stuck with me, and it's really kind of fucking bothered me over the past couple of days, to be honest with you. I like that idea
0: of taking a family that would be super religious and would be superstitious and would be sort of prime for this psychological horror of of people that are trying to do right by God and think they're failing and are punishing themselves or something. Like, that. that people that could be just psychologically torturing themselves due to their strict religious beliefs, and then throw an actual devil-worshipping witch... Into the story, you know, yeah. like rather than do what a lot of movies would do, which is make it all psychological and metaphorical. This movie said, okay, it, it, it's both metaphorical because this family's going through this mentally, but they're also up against something real. It's kind of that that saying: just because you're paranoid, doesn't mean they're not after you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely. And I thought the acting was great and the performances were very authentic. And And I agree with you that maybe it's not straight up scary throughout enough to be called the scariest thing in years. But I, w- I do think the one thing that the witch has in its favor is that the moments that it has, the so-called creepy moments it has, are are pure nightmare fuel. And seem like yeah. they actually are sent from some some devil that's trying to give you nightmares. You know, like there's a scene early in the film where we see what happens to a baby... Uh, we see oh it in the, in the vaguest sort of nightmare imagery that still, like, if I close my eyes, I can picture that. And then there's a scene later in the film where a boy comes upon sort of a hovel in the woods and meets a, a special lady there. And uh, that scene was another one that felt like it was both straight out of a fairy tale and so so real and so palpable. So, yeah, I think that movie is actually a very good film. But as you said, Steve, not the quote unquote scariest film in years, uh, probably. What did What did you think? I think you liked the witch, didn't you, Ronald? Yeah,
2: I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I think there's some some validity to a studio's fear of explaining what what a thing is genre wise. Because I mean, I mean, we watch movies on a pretty regular basis, more than most people, right? And you know, you have those right. conversations with the casual movie watcher, and they ask about a movie. And, and you know those those ones that are kind of genre bending you try to explain that to somebody and they fucking look like they're about to fall out like it's like their their brains yeah. are fu- like something's happening with their <laughs> brains that there's something about association that works and that they know that if you say what's the movie like it's like Blair Witch it's it's the Blair Witch of this generation if you say shit like that people can make those connections and there's something about someone having to figure out what something is about a movie. People feel like that's too much work. I don't know what that is, man, but there's a dismissiveness that happens when you, when you have to over explain something. Yes. That people get, they, they blank out. So I, I'm not a big fan of what they do, but I understand it. So like if, if it were explained as like a fairy tale, The way that it is, the way that this movie is supposed to be, a dark fairy tale, if you did that, if you tried to explain that to a human being that wasn't a big, like, big into, like, movies like that, their fucking brains would explode. I know it sounds weird, and I don't think that people are dumb. It's not about dumbness. It's about casual movie watchers and people that are really into movies and what your brain does that that like softening of the idea like some people are into music right if you explain sheet music to somebody that knows music it's a little easier to understand if you try to explain it to me who's never listened to you know never really tried to play an instrument beyond things in middle school my brain would fucking melt if you try to explain how to read music the first time around. It's just it's just the way that it is. And I've I've accepted that when it comes to explaining movies. Like, sometimes when somebody will ask me what I thought about a movie, I'll be like, "Yeah, it's good. I don't want to talk to them about the specifics of it because it gets fucking weird, man. Because people can't understand how a movie could be shitty, but also have some value to it that makes you want to watch it. Or, you know, it's weird, man. I, I give up on it in a way. So I get why studios do it. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I get why they do it. I think we've talked about this most recently with Hail Caesar. We talked about some other films, too, in relation to this, just whatever they can do to get you in the door. And then yep. how, how that may then hurt the film going out the door if you feel like you were sold a bill of goods. Now, I'm looking at The Witch's Grosses. It made $31.7 million off of a $1 million budget. How much marketing do you think they spend on a movie that small? Not a lot,
1: to be honest with you.
0: So it's probably a profitable film is I guess my point. So it's it's it worked for them, that marketing campaign, and I guess the word of mouth about that movie was pretty good. It's even with people saying cool your jets. I feel like I'm always the one saying cool your jets and I'm not trying to undercut these films. I'm just trying to make sure people don't go in expecting something that's gonna blow their socks off. Because I haven't seen that in a long time. Um I haven't seen a horror film or a, a movie that gave me that kind of I mean, the witch came close in some, some spots but it's been a while and so did it follows but it's been a while since something has been through and through just a like an instant classic horror film you know um but i did think the witch had a lot of things going for it i I think we've all seen another film that you might describe as a as an indie horror and based on the reviews it's getting sort of a similar level of hype not quite the same level of hype as these other films but the invitation what did you guys think of that
2: um i loved it man I love the invitation and, and for a bunch of reasons, man. Like I think that I watch a lot of movies that kinda overexplain things, like overexplain um uh, exposition and stuff like that. Like I, I think there's a lot of overexplaining that happens through scenes and stuff like that. And this is one of the few movies that I've seen where the the backstory unfolds in such a raw way that um I appreciated it. I appreciated the backstory more because it unfolded the way that it did, and it made it so much more impactful once it all kind of unfolds and the slow burn that this movie had. I fucking thought it was such a good movie, man. My girlfriend watched it twice like the very next day she watched it again um <laughs> it was such a tense movie, and the idea of like you know what what what's bringing these people together in the end it's horrifying (laughs) it was such a fucking good movie and and like i said what what really drives me in movies what really scares me is something grounded in reality and this could happen this whole movie could happen it's not far-fetched it's a very good movie so steve
1: yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta agree. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I, I do have a few issues with it, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, I was completely engaged the entire time. And I will say, I did not go into this thinking this was a horror movie. Um, I, I did see some, you know, reviews and some uh, feature pieces basically saying that it was very unsettling and very disturbing you know and those those descriptions are a little more appropriate for a movie like this than saying like it's nightmare fuel or you know just kind of like just touch to touch back on what we were saying about the the witch i mean i feel like this is an example of like if the right expectation was given you know and i mentioned earlier like a psychological drama or a suspenseful drama or whatever it might be um that's not to say that there aren't some very creepy slash very scary slash very horrific events that happen you know, in a movie like the invitation, but um I think it it's an example of like the other side of the spectrum where like if you don't sit there and say this is like the best horror movie ever or this is the scariest horror movie since the Blair Witch, you know people can go in with a little bit more of an open mind and without like a requirement of uh you know like a, a of, of delivery of some kind and uh, I thought all the performance was really good um, I thought that uh was it is it Logan Marshall Green? I can't remember his name. The lead guy, Will. Oh yeah, um, was w- was yes. great. Um, yeah, Logan Marshall Green as Will was great. Um, and obviously, is it is it John John Carroll Lynch?
0: John Carroll Lynch, uh, that great character actor that we've all seen a hundred times, and he's fantastic. Yeah, and so and so unsettling. Yeah.
1: Oh, so good, so good. I mean, oh my god! As soon as you see him on the screen, you just like whatever he's doing in in his life that like he's kind of cornered that market of like just instantly kind of making me dread what he has to do with this story. It's just like, (laughs) it's, it's, it's perfect. And, uh, and I'll say that like for all the build and like some of the criticism it's given in for its third act, I had no issue with it. I actually absolutely love the final shot of the movie and, uh, it kind of scared that was probably the scariest part of the movie for me or the most unsettling part of the film for me without going into spoiler territory but it kind of just opened my mind up to like you know the world like ronald was saying of like real things happening or the possibility of something being a lot more um widespread um than just that little microcosm that we were in in that dining room and that this may be a bigger issue than than these two people or three people kind of make their way through it's almost like it takes place in the purge universe you know yeah
0: yeah you know i i guess i'll 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 put my hand up and say that i'm i'm one of those people i didn't know i haven't read any reviews for this film so i didn't know there were people complaining about the third act but i will say that yeah. the movie it's like it fell apart it didn't fall apart in the sense that it stopped being good but it fell apart for me in the sense of it was so expertly just twisting the tension was getting greater over the course of the film and I felt like I was feeling that get just get tighter and tighter and then when it finally got to the end it was like it kind of went to shit in a way that to me feels like I don't mean the movie but I mean the situation the people were in. Yeah. Once it finally gets to the point where it goes to shit it reminds me of a lot of films that I love up until the moment where they go to shit and they sort of run out of ideas now this movie was well done in terms of the the turn of events and there's plenty of characters so there's plenty of of awful things that can happen in quick succession to these characters and they they don't they don't refrain from going there but it reminds me of some a movie like the strangers or something where it gets to the end and you realize that there's nowhere to go but just people uh you know having bad things happen to them and and i do appreciate that it stayed grounded and I, I liked the atmosphere, and I loved the final shot, so I'm giving the third act a lot of uh, leeway. But I do think there was a point where it went from being really compelling to me to being like, ah, pretty pretty darn good. you know. And I came out of it really right. enjoying it and thinking, as you said, performance is great, atmosphere great. Um, and I have to say, it even overcame the fact that I wrote down idea killer, exclamation point, because I've been working on a story for a little while that basically the first hour of this film just completely destroyed the first half of my story so i now have to come up with another fucking setup for for a uh, a horror story i've been working on (laughs) Mm. but 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 the fact that the fact that it overcame that and i still liked it is a sign of just how much i liked the the film you know sure
1: yeah i was gonna say it's so funny you mentioned that you had an idea for a story that was similar to this because a part of my cell on getting aaron uh my wife to watch this with me was that she actually had a nightmare one night and woke up and and as she's telling me about this nightmare, I'm like, you realize you just explained this movie, The Invitation, that I've been like <laughs> wanting you to watch with me. <laughs> and like she had never seen a trailer for it, she had no idea. Besides, like I was like, I got, I, I got, you know, we had plans. We're gonna watch this, this, you know, in a couple weeks. And then I showed her the trailer for it after she told me about her nightmare. And it was like a, a, one of those moments where she was like kind of freaked out about it because like it was so close to what she had just had a nightmare about. And uh, yeah, yeah, she she re, she really liked it also though. So I'll say that there were two things
0: that bumped me about the film too that were had nothing to do with really anything they did wrong uh, yeah. outside of the fact that they, they went into my dreams and stole one of my ideas. Um, <laughs> is that the casting of the guru, I think he's Father Joseph or Dr. Joseph, mm-hmm. whatever they call him. Yeah. Did you notice that's Toby Huss, the guy who usually plays over-the-top comedy characters? And if you don't yes. know who he is, he does the voice of Hank Hale's dad and Khan, the neighbor, <laughs> really? on King of the Hill. So he's usually doing these crazy over-the-top caricatures, and it was hard for me to buy him as anything but kind of a silly guy. <laughs> so I, I felt like that that was like cool casting for Toby Huss, because he probably doesn't normally get to be in something like this. But it was right. weird. it was weird casting for me, because I was sitting there thinking, is he about to do something crazy? And then the other thing was, and I'm not going to get into spoilers, but I will say there is something about the backstory of the main characters that slowly reveals itself. And I found it to be a big cliche. I thought that what was, the, what was in the past of the... The, the the protagonist that we finally find out it was so obvious to me from the beginning and I feel like I've seen it in a million films and I'm not going to say what it is but it's a certain kind of life trauma that I thought was very obvious from the first bit yeah so I the so fact too, that the movie yeah. took so long to reveal what his tragedy was to me really hurt the film when I would have preferred if maybe he was just kind of a messed up depressed guy who had weird issues not necessarily a guy who had a specific trauma
1: right right right
0: but aside from that i i would recommend the film and i could totally see myself watching it again just to watch all the character interactions now that i know the the you know what's really going on yeah
2: well my issue wasn't like what the what the thing was because i knew what i knew that it was a tragedy i knew exactly what the tragedy was i think it was more surprising about how it happened the circumstances were were kind of what I was wondering about, and seeing that kind of a little vague, yeah, it was vague. I think that was kind of the surprise for me because I think it's it's super obvious, like as soon as he gets into the situation, that something happened related to you know you you guess kind of what it is very very early, but the circumstances are kind of what made it kind of interesting to see how it unfolds, because I you know it was it it did have some really cliche parts, but seeing how Exactly what led to the tragedy, how it happened, who was around when it happened. I thought that was really cool. So, Steve, any
0: other
1: thoughts? Uh, not really. I I would definitely recommend uh, that it's. I think it's definitely a good head for us, uh, at least for me. So, if you uh, have any interest in the, in the invitation, I would definitely uh, check it out. It's on a, a few different uh, VOD platforms right now. I think The Witch is probably going to be out of theaters by the time this podcast comes out, but, you know, you'll have a chance. I was looking today
0: and hoping that it was coming out on home video, like, soon, but no, I don't see it on the horizon yet. Yeah. yeah. But I'm glad we followed up on Me it. Me too.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think overall, like, it it just, like, I, I just kind of want to continue to, like, kind of monitor this, you know? Like, we always talk about these horror movies, and it's just, like, it's happened far too often now that, like, you know, I think we are kind of, like, a different example of the viewer but you know going to see like I, I find myself talking friends into going to see some of these movies that we've referenced as examples and it's really consistent from at least what I've seen in terms of you know the average horror fan going in and seeing a lot of these films coming out you know it it I don't know just being disappointed and I think it I think in a lot of ways it hurts a movie um hurts the, that that movie in some ways um Because that word of mouth is like, you know, it's like a completely inverse uh, relationship from like a critical response to an audience response. Like there's a there's a really cool article I was reading about like um, about the witch specifically not to sit on this for too much longer. But, you know, like the relationship between critics and an audience and a lot of these movies you know, have, like, really high critical or Rotten Tomatoes scores, but then the audience score that a lot of uh, studios go off of, it's called the Cinescore, you know, basically, like, exit interviews, exit surveying, and it kind of helps predict what kind of word of mouth or what kind of box office forecasting they can kind of work off of. There's, like, it's completely the opposite. Like, most of these movies, like, um, like um there was about, like, Cabin in the Woods and, uh like, Oculus, Let Me In, The Witch, um... Like, you know, these movies that had, like, 80, 90-some percent on Rotten Tomatoes, they all had, like, I think the highest one was, like, a C-plus in the Cinescore, which is really bad. Like, that's, like, a movie that has no word of mouth, pretty much. And, right. you know, it's just crazy to me. Like, that that's everything you need to know that, like, there's just something weird going into a critic saying this is, like, a really great, you know, game changer and an audience being like what? What the hell did I just see? Like that is not what I was told I was going to see, you know? So, I don't know. Just it's something that I don't think is going to change, but it's I think it's really kind of like uh it's definitely making people talk about the genre, but I don't think in the best light, you know, and in, in the way that maybe they intended it. It really bums me out that it may only be motivation to like, you know, bank that first weekend of box office or whatever it might be, but I guess we'll I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think we were talking about doing an entire show devoted to this topic. Maybe the topic should be best horror films of the last five years or ten years or or, or of the 21st yeah, century yeah. or something like that. Something that gives us a nice spectrum but and hopefully a chance to talk about some movies that aren't the same three that we've talked about <laughs> a million times. Um, I, how would you guys like to close it out with a couple of just like a speed round of a couple of quick questions? I would
2: love that. that we, we sure, can hear. sure. Right.
0: Uh, Matt Gauz friend uh, t- uh, to everyone on the show uh, asks, how often are each of you going to the movies?
1: Oh. Far too much. Uh. <laughs> far too much.
0: I would say far too little. I would say I'm getting out. Idealistically, I'd get out a couple times a week, but lately I've been doing well if I do it once a week. So what about you guys?
1: Um, I'm a slightly different situation because I help cover some of these events, but I mean, right. I'm probably at a movie theater I would say average like three times a week.
2: Uh, About two or three for me, too. Um, I just went to see Eye in the Sky. So, like right before we recorded this. So, yeah, I go two two or three.
0: Oh, to be childless. (laughs) Just zip around, (laughs) seeing movies left and right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Matt also asked, do you have a preferred
1: theater or venue?
2: Uh, Good question. Go ahead, I'll let you guys Um, answer
1: yeah, I don't know. Like I think my big qualifier is like the whatever theater has the best sound. Um mm-hmm. I know it's not the most popular theater around here, but the the AMC White Marsh, their mm,
2: IMAX screen. It's incredible.
1: Like uh I I just freaking love that the sound in the IMAX theater. I think it's theater number like 4 or 5. Yeah. But um it's not near me where I live, but for the right film, I definitely find myself out there seeing it if if, if I have a uh, the need for that, that awesome theater experience. Yeah, I don't particularly like that theater or that
0: area either, but I've frequently gone there knowing that I was seeing what I wanted to see on the biggest possible screen. Like, I remember when I saw Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to see that on the biggest screen, and I'd heard the 3D, and it was actually pretty good. So, um, it was certified good by Ridley Scott, and he never puts out anything bad. Um, but, uh... <laughs> But no, and, it, and it, but I mean I, I made a point to see certain movies on that screen, and I have to, I have to say that sometimes my aversion to three D uh, drives me away from seeing films on that screen because frequently the biggest screen will also be a three D presentation of the movie. Sure, this is great for people that aren't local that are listening to this. I also am fond of the uh, the Towson Cinemark. So good, um, or is it a landmark? What I think is Cinemark? Cinemark? Yeah. A Cinemark, the the Towson Cinemark, because not only is it close to my house, but it's almost like people haven't discovered yet the how easy it is to park there and how easy it is to get in and that you can validate parking and it's two bucks. It's it's I feel like people still haven't discovered the way that you enter that place. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think you're Because right. it's almost never crowded, I, except when I've gone like on the weekend in the evening or something. It's almost never crowded. And they do the reserved seating thing if you want to do that, and they have... You know, tons of rooms, and they have a pretty good. Uh, they have a pretty big screen or two as well.
1: But
2: yeah,
0: so yeah, but those are those are nice, cushy experiences. I haven't been to the Charles uh, or the Senator in a while, but I do like to hit those places every so often just because I like to support
2: them. Yeah, Um mine are probably White Marsh, uh, Towson, the Charles, just because of the movies they play there. Yeah, and the ArcLight Bethesda is my favorite theater. It's it's nice. They have good food. <laughs> they have a bar um the sounds really good um yeah the arc Light bethesda is probably one of my favorites so
0: yeah i've been there that is a that is a very nice one i would go there a ton more if it were at all convenient, i know if it were
2: closer Jeez, i would go all the time because their pastries are delicious
0: all right uh, i guess i'll move on to our final two questions these two no surprise came from bob rose he really pelted us with questions i want to say we got lots of questions today (laughs) ronald put out the call i I put out a message then ronald shared that and then put out the call and we started tagging people and we got lots of great uh options that will keep us fed for questions for probably the next few rounds but (laughs) i thought i'd close out this episode with a couple of strong questions that i think everyone's really asking um and bob rose is just the kind of mouthpiece for these ideas that that are in the ether you know mm-hmm. right that someone has to be the one to say it but everyone's thinking it so um have any of you masturbated to a movie that was released nationwide in american theaters in the last 50 years <laughs> uh yes. yes i mean uh, yes right? i guess so yeah, yeah I mean, I, definitely i'm sure
2: there's one uh Monsters yeah. Ball—that's definitely one of them. That's...
0: I don't know if we were supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm,
2: the, I'm telling you, I, I've got to tell you, Monsters Ball—the sex scene with uh, with Holly Berry, man, she just she does something for me.
0: Ronald, you're a cheap date. Given that information away, that was supposed to lead to a future question. Someone saying, "Okay, what movie oh. was it?" But now we all know what Ronald what Ronald uh, gets off to. I'm not going to say until someone asks it. Ditto. Um, cool. So here's the final question. This is also from Bob Rose. If Ronald James was going to star in the next Transporter film, and the plot of the film centralized a, around a fifty ton vat of peanut butter, what location would the infight take place and what would be the last line Ronald's transporter said before the credits rolled? Oh my God. <laughs> How did Bob Rose that
2: I Bob Rose said he Googled that I love peanut butter and I fucking love peanut butter, which is crazy. I love peanut butter. Um, Maybe that would be your last line. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd be uh, uh, I love peanut butter, bitch, and then pff, kick the person in the back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but where would the uh, where would the end fight take place? Would it be like it would be at
2: the fact at a factory, or would it be at like a grocery store? It would be at a dam that got converted into peanut butter.
1: Uh-oh, so the dam is holding back the 50 tons.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it, somebody Ooh. dropped in a solution that converted the dam into peanut butter.
1: And Ooh.
2: It kicked the person into that peanut butter.
0: So maybe they would get, you would see them fall in there, and then they would get churned up in some kind of <laughs> m- machine, and you would say something like, hope you like it, crunchy style.
2: <laughs> they would have to show that green screen falling, like where they're like flailing their mm-hmm. arms. Ah!
0: <laughs> yes, and, and we're like, they get too small, like the, the, some somehow the scale is bad, you know, the, before they hit the thing
2: that's like 10 feet right.
0: below, they shrink down too small. They would have yeah. to have
2: fallen from like 10 more stories in order for them to be that small. Exactly. I, I get it. Yeah.
0: Or, or I got an idea, you, you knock them down in there, they die, they, they do the cheap green screen down into the peanut butter, and then you say,
1: damn Skippy.
0: There
1: it is. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. But is that, is that assuming that we've gotten Skippy on board for licensing and everything? <laughs>
0: I think that's the big reveal at the end of the film is uh, that
1: is that Skippy was involved. That would be amazing. Yeah.
2: Damn Skippy.
1: The marketing tie ins for that just are endless, yeah. Now.
2: The fact that it's in a damn, and it's oh, Jesus, man. John, you're a fucking genius. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're
2: a genius, man. That's a good time to end. Mm, yeah. yeah when just,
0: people are calling you a genius. That's what I've always said is leave the room. <laughs> Oh,
1: man. All right, cool. Well, that that was that episode. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so thank you guys for listening. Um, Whoever is out there listening right now, hopefully the people that submitted the questions are at least listening. (laughs) Um, You can find us at MoviesMovie.com. In addition, we are obviously on iTunes. Um, Maybe not so obvious to some people, but we are. And if you can uh, give us a review, rate us, share us – across your your, your social media outlet of choice or all of them that would be appreciated Um, something I did want to mention real quick in in the next month or so um, hopefully we're going to end up doing something with uh, the Maryland Film Festival again I just wanted to give a a quick shout out to the Maryland Film Festival they have their um, 2016 dates and the first round of films that they've announced um, the first weekend in May Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet Definitely, uh, definitely check out the website um, and see if there's anything out there. So if I know the one that I saw on there that I know, John, you were looking for, I know they announced High Rise was going to be there. Oh, cool. This year, <clears throat> um, I think it's May 4th through the 8th, but hopefully we'll be doing something with them again this year and have a chance to go see some of these movies. But just real quick, if you're, if you're local to the Maryland or Delmarva area, it's uh, md-filmfest.com definitely check them out and see if there's anything on the <clears throat> on the horizon that you'd be into seeing and maybe we'll see you at the festival but um I have nothing else to add Ronald John anything No else? nothing else
0: No nothing else except maybe when we get together next week maybe we can all have looked at the schedule and we can all have a couple of picks for the Maryland Film Fest or oh, something Oh yeah Yeah so, yeah that
1: that sounds like a that people. sounds like a plan so uh thank you guys for listening again and uh we'll talk to you shortly and uh, as always uh, you've made our day take care
0: Bye Click. <laughs> Dial tone. <laughs> Meh, <laughs> Meh.